It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever, wherever we, we can, can find, find it. it. So, Amy, how have you been? We had to take out last week off because COVID and my family. Oh, but. I know. Yeah, I've been good. Thanksgiving was fun. I had the run-in with the coyote. Yes. Yes. With the dog, walking the dog. Walking the dog. Yeah. That was kind of scary. Yeah. And I tried to shoot away. I don't know. Have you ever seen Daddy's Home 2 with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg? I, I have. Okay. Well, the <laughs> scene where Will Ferrell's out in the out with the wolves and uh-huh. Mark Wahlberg comes up and just goes, huh, and then they all disperse. <laughs> I tried my deepest voice to do that. <laughs> and the thing just kept following me. <laughs> I thought you were... It's like encouraging him. <laughs> come, come along. Now I have to watch that movie again yeah. just to see it, that scene. I would, And then I laughed at myself, but fortunately someone came and... It scared them off. It scared them off. But. Yeah, we are in the suburbs. We're not out in the wilderness. Yeah, you yeah. don't expect We're that. We're encroaching on their territory for sure. So yeah. I'm glad you and Fritz are all We're safe. Oh, okay. We're okay. Yes. So this is episode 109. Oh, wow. I have a nonprofit here in Portland, Oregon. You're so good at finding those here. Uh, called Feed the Mass. And I'm going to talk about Betty Ford, which she was an amazing woman. So many things that I didn't know about her as far as total girl power. And then speaking of dogs, I'm going to talk about just a couple different sweet dog stories. So fun. Yeah. I heard about a cool nonprofit here in Portland, Oregon. We love our nonprofits. I know we do. And again, it's feeding the, it's called Feed the Mass. And so they're really, they're focused on, you know, the homeless, which I know, I feel like we've talked a lot about, but it is just. There's a need. There is a need and we're going into the winter months. So this, I think, really strikes a chord. But this organization has been operating in Portland since 2016, founded on the belief that everyone deserves access to reliable, high quality nutrition, which I love. Mm -hmm. Feed the Mass believes that in times of crisis, we have an opportunity to take care of one another. A lot of family members have lost jobs, lost resources, have poor access to food. Feed the Mass wants to do their part to make sure that no one goes hungry. Food insecurity has been growing problem throughout the U.S. In Oregon, and especially in Multnomah County, the USDA reports that 3.8 million U.S. households were food insecure in 2020. That's a lot of people. Fun. And estimates that this number has grown in 2021. An estimated 1 million Oregonians, close to 1 in 4 people, experienced food insecurity in 2020. One in four. One in four. So, and then they say one in seven of these Oregonians is a child. Mm. According to the data collected by the Oregon Food Bank, Multnomah County has the highest number of food insecure people in the state, 133,230 individuals in 2020. Also, a sobering reality is that an estimated 31% of food waste each year in America, translating to 96 billion pounds of food, 165 billion in lost economic value. Crews at Feed the Mass, located in Portland's Old Town, make up a thousand meals a week and can feed around 700 people 
each week. They deliver sustainable solutions to combat food insecurity in the Portland metro area. Raw goods are donated from local vendors and farms cutting into Portland's food waste and preventing good ingredients from going into landfills, which we've talked about oh. multiple times oh, before, yeah. like Blanche House, who also is helping feed the hungry and obviously more need. Waste. We more need. need. Yeah. And all of the food they use is clean, safe, restaurant quality. Each balanced, nutritious meal is chef-inspired, cooked fresh from scratch. So Feed the Mass has been making free meals and serving or delivering them five times a week, every week. They also supply food for women's shelters, after-school programs, and organizations that help those struggling with homelessness. Beyond their meal program and food assistance, they offer an educational program that provides online education and workshops to Portland community, which allows for people to learn about preparing nutritious meals. Their meals and food outreach is growing, and so is their need for monetary and food donations. In the summer, 80% of the food came from donors, but it drops in the winter to around 30%. So I'm giving this a shout out that if people are interested in our local Portland area and donating, they can go to feedthemass.org forward slash donate. We'll have that up on our website. And I think it'd be a great place to volunteer. Yes, we need to look into that for sure. Good find. have a thing for Betty's. <laughs> you do. Betty yeah. White and then now Betty Ford. One thing that she had talked about was that in order to appreciate life, everyone has to have a little bit of suffering, oh, which I think that's, that's a very true. interesting take because yeah. she was big on being grateful for what you have, but you are more grateful for what you have, you know, after you've come through seasons of Loss. struggle. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, and you know, that I often admire first ladies way more than the commander in chief. <laughs> but I think, with the exception of the Reagans, I can't think of a contemporary president where that isn't the case. Mrs. Betty Ford was no exception. I respected her for her work with the Betty Ford Clinic, but besides that, I really didn't know much about her. And my knowledge of the Betty Ford Clinic was pretty much that yeah. just that it was a you know place for people to go and go to rehab. That was it. Extremely limited. And it was an alcohol and drug treatment facility, but that's just about it. Not to sound callous, but just knowing that didn't impress me that much. I mean, a lot of celebrities have their names on buildings or are associated with products. So, yeah. I mean, it's cool, but right. it wasn't, you know, it didn't stand out to me, I guess. I might admire the charity or the organization, but that doesn't automatically mean the namesake had a whole lot to do with its conception. Yeah. Which reminded me of Zoolander. Oh, I love yeah, that movie. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Me too. Different poses. They're all the <laughs> yeah. same. Yeah. Blue Steel. Yeah. But um, his building at the end where Derek Zoolander's school for kids oh, who yeah. don't, that Re- don't read so, so good. good. Yeah. So it just, I think, for whatever reason, made me think of that. But anyway, I discovered that Betty Ford didn't just have her name on the facility. She made it happen. Wow. And maintained her high standards while she was around. I'll get into the Betty Ford Clinic later, but the real reason I wanted to dig into this woman was after reading that she wasn't the typical politician's wife. Oh. She thought and spoke for herself, even if it conflicted with the feelings of her husband, Gerald Ford, or eek, his party. A woman who spoke about her feelings and spoke her mind, and a first lady at that, I just had to learn more about yeah. Betty Ford. And after reading the book, Betty Ford, First Lady, Women's Advocate, Survivor, Trailblazer. I love the title. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's just a, yeah. 
That's a blockbuster. Yes, exactly. By Lisa McCubbin, I feel like the whole world needs to learn about this somewhat non-traditional first lady. The foreword was written by Susan Ford Bales. So, and that's the daughter of the Fords. Um, It's not just any biography. The family actually proved to have her story told. And I'm so thankful they did because now Betty Ford is a new role model for me. The author made it seem like the entire country was in love with this woman back in the day. And since I was too young to remember. Yeah, me too. I had to ask some of the residents at work. And, oh yeah, (laughs) everyone loved Betty because she spoke her mind. That's what I got. Yeah. They loved her transparency. What you saw was what you got, like it or not. I think a lot of people were like me, admiring the First Lady more than her husband. There were pins made during Gerald Ford's run for president that said, Keep Betty in the White House, which I think is adorable. And she had such a good sense of humor that she walked up to someone on the opposing side and gave him a pin. Oh, and the guy allowed her to put it on him because oh. he saw the colors and just assumed it was for them when it said, actually, keep Betty in the White House, oh. which I think is pretty funny that yeah. she had such a good sense of humor. For sure. But in a lot of ways, it reminded me of episode 15, where Amy talked about Eleanor Roosevelt and just how much she campaigned for FDR. Yeah. Talk about a power couple for humanity, those two. Betty Ford wasn't as much the humanitarian as Eleanor Roosevelt, but she was definitely a progressive thinker. And adored her husband, despite their differences. Maybe I should say she was just a different kind of humanitarian. She was a feminist, for sure. Yeah. Lobbying for equal rights. At the same time, she wanted to raise her four children. She didn't see them as being separate. She felt you could be a feminist and a homemaker. I love I like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I do, too. I loved reading, too, just how much Gerald Ford loved and supported her. He knew he could only do what he was doing because he had a strong woman by his side. Oh. And boy, did Betty think that people needed to know that. While Mrs. Ford was a vocal proponent of the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, she was quick to point out that she was actually a housewife. She knew that was an important job with PTA meetings, Boy Scout stuff, and making sure the kids got to their activities, as well as getting their homework done. I mean, Jerry didn't get home, but she called him Jerry the whole time. Didn't get home until late, so it was on mom and and their helper. They They were a team, and they relied on each other. Betty was happy to fulfill the domestic role, was proud of raising her four children, but she also wanted people to see the importance of that role and that that decision was one that they made together and pointed out that it would be easier at times if she went to a paying job. Right. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I get that. Yeah, absolutely. She was fighting for respect and equality even back then. So Betty was born in Chicago in 1918, but she was raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Her father was a salesman and traveled a lot, which was hard on the family. And Betty decided if she ever got married, definitely wouldn't be two salesmen who traveled all the time. She wanted someone who would be home. She was a happy-go-lucky child, though she always wondered if she was an accident since her mother was in her 30s when she was born. I guess she was seven and a half pounds, blue-eyed baby, and she was just a chubby, friendly toddler who had no problem approaching strangers. <laughs> no <laughs> stranger danger. <laughs> no. She must have loved the food and treats they offered. Her father put a sign on her back that said, do not feed this child. Oh. I can't even imagine. No. But, mm, yeah. They just didn't know. <laughs> no, I, well, I don't, I have, I have no excuse for that, but. While I see that as a complete parenting fail, her family taught more with humor, which I do totally admire. They rarely spanked, although Betty would say there was an occasional hairbrush to the booty, but that was rare. 
One win for her mom was the day when Betty came home from school crying. Mm. Someone had teased her about a birthmark she had on her left hand. Her mother reminded her that she was the only one with that birthmark, and it made her special since no one else Mm. had one. That spin on it gave Betty confidence and pride in the person she was. So, Uh, good, good on the mom there. For sure. With the Great Depression... Betty didn't really get much of a childhood. I mean, no kid back then did. Her father died when she was just 12, taking his own life, though his death certificate says poison. I think it was uh, carbon monoxide. I think a lot of Betty's strength came from her mother. Even though money was tight, her mother somehow worked it so that Betty could have dance lessons, which ended up being helpful. As a teenager, she would teach dance for 50 cents a person. Now, the competitors were a dollar a person, so she was cutting them a deal, which I think is just so clever. (laughs) Betty paid to run a room. She paid a dollar for the pianist. I just, resourceful young lady. Definitely. For that time frame, too. Yeah. That was unusual. And she's a kid. Yeah. She also modeled for a department store. Back in those days, she'd walk up to the tables displaying the outfit and then tell them the price and which floor to find it. Her love of dance continued to call, and, and she convinced her mother to allow her to attend the Bennington School of Dance in Vermont after her high school graduation. It was there that she met her idol, Martha Graham, and fell in love with modern dance. Even with oh, all of I know. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't. Like I said, I didn't either. Even with all of her experience, you know, all the years of her lessons, she still wasn't the top dancer. But Betty was willing to work for it. She attended a six-week intense training where she practiced eight hours every day. Wow, that's she, grueling. Yes. And not just easy practice. I mean, this that's is intense. physical, yeah. She was so sore that she had to scoot down the stairs on her booty. Aww. Betty met Gerald Ford in 1947. Gerald Ford was a young lawyer who had been a football star in Grand Rapids as well as a Navy lieutenant in World War II. Little uh, fun fact, I found out that Gerald Ford could have played in the NFL for the Green Bay Packers. Wow, who knew? I know. He was a really good football player, but he decided, you know, he wanted a little more security to go a different route. And when I was talking to someone at work, they said back in the day, that would have definitely been a smarter decision because they didn't have all the... They probably didn't get paid. Paid that they have nowadays. With their relationship, there were a couple of technical problems with their courtship. Betty wanted a partner who would be home, unlike her non-existent father she had growing up. And for Gerald, he was considering politics. Plus, Betty had been married before. In 1942, she married a salesman, which is interesting because yeah. she said she would him. But they had divorced several years later. And that wasn't an issue for Gerald because his parents were actually divorced when he was a baby. But with the politics, right? you know, that was a different story. That she might was, be a big deal or yeah. something. But she was brilliant because she kind of deflated the whole thing. Years later in an interview, she would set it up where she told them she was a divorcee. Oh, wow. So it couldn't be... She just threw it out there. Yeah. So it couldn't be, you know, this big secret that they were finding and catching her on. Right. So they were meant to be together and exchange vows on October 15th, 1948, a couple of weeks before Gerald would be elected for his first term. Betty went right into her role as the congressman's wife. She was busy with cooking, active in the PTA. She even taught Sunday school at Emmanuel on the Hill Episcopal Church. The kids kept her busy with scouting. Wow, busy. Yeah. Which you know. I know about scouting. Scouting, football, baseball, skiing, and their studies. Apparently, another fun fact, Gerald Ford is the only president who was an Eagle Scout. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Jimmy Carter was a Scout Master. Okay. I love that Betty and Gerald lived by the 70-30 rule. They believed in giving 
70% and only expecting 30% of others. I just think that's brilliant. You're never going to be disappointed and you're giving so much more than you're expecting. Right. And they say that's supposed to make you happier too. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why they lasted so long. I also laughed out loud at some of the parenting stories. No. <laughs> Betty had a guest over one day, and the kids decided to get into her fur collection. Oh. Betty found that the kids had put lipstick on all of the faces of her furs. Oh, my gosh. Which, yeah. That just floors me that yeah. they still had the head on them, but I've wow. seen enough episodes of Lucy that, like, her That make, was a thing. It was a thing. And wow. for Betty's, hers, hers had makeup. Wow. She also allowed the kids to have all sorts of pets, including a pet alligator. I guess that was legal at the time. Wow. The alligator kept getting bigger and bigger and one like day... Like wild the crocodile. Yeah, no. Escaped. They found it in their backyard swimming pool. I think he, you know, put on a bunch of clothes, the, the sun, and to go out in case... He got bit, and he ended up having to make a crate. And anyway, one of the boys talked about how mortified he was with the football game that he had gotten injured. He was sitting on the bench, and his mom was nervous. Betty turned into complete mama bear, went into mama bear mode, (laughs) climbed a waist-high chain-link fence in front of everyone on the field, in front of all the spectators, to run over and check on her son. He was so embarrassed, but I just think it's hilarious. That's what moms do. Exactly. Ever the supportive wife, Betty had no idea that she would end up in the White House. Wow. She yeah. had no idea she would be first lady. It's one of those stories where truth seems stranger than fiction, especially considering Gerald and Betty were already talking about his retirement and Betty couldn't wait. Oh. He was going to retire. Um, you know, they have the year set out and, and whatnot. And then when Nixon was elected, he was like, I'll just work through his presidency. When the Watergate Hotel was broken into and the scandal began to unfold, Vice President Spiro Agnew stepped down as vice president. Suddenly, everyone was wondering who Richard Nixon, who was president at the right. time, would appoint to replace him. Their daughter, Susie, I think, was the one who thought Gerald Ford had a real possibility of being Aww. picked, which yeah. I think is adorable. She kept asking him. They were sure he wouldn't be they, they thought um, Gerald needed to be in the position he was in at the okay. time. They, he was like, I'm too important here. But one night, Gerald Ford came home early, somewhat early for him, and the family was surprised. He explained that President Nixon was going to phone his choice that night with an invitation. Wow. So he was sending everybody home. We know that he got the phone call and accepted the invitation to be vice president with Richard Nixon, the Fords, both Betty and Gerald absolutely trusted President Nixon and his wife, Pat, and they believed he was telling the truth with the whole Watergate thing. Unfortunately, as we know, he ended up not being trustworthy, and Gerald Ford would take his place in the White House, becoming the 38th president in August of 1974, and Betty quickly transitioned to First Lady, holding her first press conference September 4th, 1974. So I was only two years old. Wow. I was was, just a baby. I was... Um, I'd be turning turning seven, maybe, in that November. It was evident immediately that she wasn't like any other first lady before her. She had her own opinions on controversial subjects. Betty answered questions on women in politics, abortion rights, and the proposed Equal Rights Amendment. Pretty much all I know about Dick Cavett is from a recipe my mother-in-law gave me and shared with us um, for Dick Cavett's bread pop fondue. Okay. It's really, really good. Not in any way healthy, <laughs> but um, my whole family loves it. But that's all I knew about this guy. I guess the family made it clear that they weren't going to talk politics at this interview. Okay. So instead, 
Dick Cavett asked Steve and Susan, the kids, if their parents had told them about the birds and the bees. Oh, my gosh. I know. So we think things are terrible. But I'm like, that's things. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? I would yeah. be furious. Betty would give an interview on 60 Minutes that sent shockwaves, I'm sure, through much of the Republican Party. She alluded that cohabitating might lower the divorce rate. She thought women deserved equal pay as men for doing the same work. She even said that she thought her kids had likely tried marijuana. It wasn't just the admission of her very, you know, of the opinions, which were extremely different from her husband's, but it was her cavalier, no-nonsense discussion about the issues. She was an independent woman, comfortable in her own skin for sure, and not afraid to speak her mind. That definitely would be a hard thing to do when your husband is president. Right. Everyone's, you yeah. know, and especially for the time, yes. time frame, too. For sure. She was sensitive to Gerald and never wanted to hurt his political aspirations. After her interview, originally people were critical. Public opinion was about two to one. And Ronald oh, Reagan wow. was among the two that were very angry with her for voicing her views. Public opinion softened, though, and Betty's approval rating climbed to 75% within months. Remember the pins? Yeah. (laughs) Betty promoted programs for handicapped children. She pushed for the importance of performing arts, so much so that she encouraged her husband to give her mentor, Martha Graham, who she had danced with, the Presidential Medal of Honor, and it was the first dancer honored with that award. When Betty was diagnosed with breast cancer, she didn't hide it, but did quite the opposite instead. This was a time where cancer was a bad word. Right. People just didn't say it. They didn't discuss it. And you definitely didn't say breast. When Betty was diagnosed, she knew that there had to be other women out there and facing the same situation. And she wanted them to know they weren't alone. Back in this time, when a woman was dealing with breast cancer, they didn't really know what they would wake up to once they were wheeled back from the operating room. The doctors would make the decision during the surgery, depending on what they found. For Betty, they unfortunately found cancer, and she had a radical mastectomy. Because of Betty, more women participated in screenings. She made the topic less taboo, and people were more likely to discuss it. Women in the same situation could now talk about different treatment options, side effects, and things they had previously hidden. Yeah, gosh. I can't imagine how many lives this saved just with more women going in for mammograms right. alone. Just the information. Exactly. Plus, I think it had to have been encouraging, as much as I hate to use that word related to breast cancer, but for the country to see her doing well after her diagnosis, I think gave women and their loved ones hope that a diagnosis didn't always mean a death sentence. Yeah. So because of Betty Ford, I'm certain many lives have been saved from chemical dependency and alcoholism as well. Betty had long been using prescription painkillers for a pinched nerve from her dancing years. Her doctor wanted to keep her happy, so he just kept refilling the prescriptions. Which I think they often did. Uh, Yeah, especially when you're, she's the first lady. Right. So he just continued to enable her problem. Her family and a doctor friend organized an intervention. Dr. Cruz was familiar with the signs as he, too, had struggled with alcohol. Betty went to the Long Beach Naval Hospital for treatment in 1978. She readily admitted that she had a problem with painkillers, but it took her quite some time for her to realize that she also had a problem with alcohol. Okay. According to Betty, my makeup wasn't smeared, I wasn't disheveled, I behaved politely, and I never finished off the bottle, so how could I be an alcoholic? 
but Dr. Cruz picked up on other, more subtle things, her holding onto the wall as she walked sometimes. Her speech was slurred at times. She would eat, walk, and smile slowly. Her skin was pale and her cheeks were puffy. I guess even Mary Tyler Moore picked up on it when Mrs. Ford made a cameo appearance on her hit television show. I know. I know. I used to love that show, Mary Me Tyler. Me too. I need to watch some reruns. Yeah. I haven't seen that in forever. Betty was late to the shoot, first off, and had trouble remembering her lines, even though she only had six of them. After working through her treatment program, she would later say that, until the day I die, I'll be recovering. And I so appreciate yeah. that honesty. Right. It's a journey. Absolutely. Lifelong journey. They had a celebration, a birthday party, to celebrate the first year of her sobriety. When her close friend Leonard Firestone was too drunk to attend the party, you know, his, his wife had called and said he's sick. But it was clear he needed to address his addiction as well. The, the two would take their struggles and use them to help others. With Firestone clean and sober, he felt he had to do something to help others. His philosophy, and I love it, was that in order to keep the gift for him, the gift of sobriety, he had to give it away. Oh. I love that philosophy. Yeah. Betty was reluctant when he approached her. After all, she had only been sober, you know, for a short time in the grand scheme of things. Right. And she, as she said, she'd be recovering the rest of her life. He must have been pretty convincing, though, because they started fundraising. And apparently she was a beast at fundraising. Within three years, they had raised $3 million. Enough to break ground at Eisenhower Hospital. They turned a pile of sand and made it into something that looked like a country club. When they opened, they only had four patients, but soon all 69 beds were filled. And not just with rich and famous people. They had patients... From 18 to 88, attending the Betty Ford Clinic, and 99% of them were just average, everyday people. Wow. I love that Betty wanted half of the beds reserved for women. Oh. Johnny Cash would say that the Betty Ford Clinic helped give him a new hold on life, and Betty inspired Stevie Nicks to get help. Liz Taysler said she would do anything for Betty Ford after attending. She appreciated and admired her that much. To this day, Betty Ford Center will not confirm or deny their clients. So the celebrity lists we have are from their own admission. Okay. That says a lot. It does. Apparently, other places wanted to open up other Betty Ford clinics. And originally, she didn't want to have, I mean, she didn't want to have her name used in the first place. She just wasn't that type of person. But she also declined that because she didn't think they could offer the same quality of care if they continued to expand. Betty didn't just have her dependencies to deal with. She would also be supporting her son as she found out he had his own addiction. Her son, Steve, came to Betty and shared that he was an alcoholic. First, Betty was in denial, much like she had been in her own case. She told him he couldn't be. He had his life too together to be an alcoholic. It didn't take her long to accept what her son was telling her. And she gave him a book called A Day at a Time. And I know she lived by that in recovery, and I certainly think we all could use that. I've heard even some people, you know, go one minute at a time, then right. go two minutes, go five minutes, you know, however you have to start. So just, just yeah, to get the chain going, get some momentum. Betty Ford spoke her mind, whether or not it was the popular opinion of her party or her husband, for that matter. And I just admire that confidence. At the same time, she was a class act. When Gerald Ford lost to Jimmy Carter, Mrs. Ford was a gracious and supportive host with the Fords. She invited them to the White House, and she gave a lighthearted tour of the house, giving little tips and suggestions with jokes sprinkled throughout. She would talk about, you know, I wrote my name in the dust, or different things. One room was the leg room because it had so many tables and a bunch of legs. So 
I just think she had a good sense of humor. Years later, she would help Rosalind Carter as she processed their election loss. The two women even testified before Congress in March of 1994 to encourage support for mental health and substance abuse treatment benefits in the National Health Care Reform Plan. Rosalind Carter, which I will have to do at yeah. some point, she her big thing was mental health. Okay. Which, once again, I was too young to really know her yeah. um, platforms, but um, another woman I really admire. I so respect that these women who technically were on opposite political sides found common ground to work on. Rosalind Carter would even speak at Betty's memorial and said it was another instance where Betty was bringing people together as they had people from the Nixon, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, and Obama families all in attendance. I've grown up knowing the name Betty Ford and always immediately thought of the Betty Ford Clinic, not really giving much thought to the woman behind the organization. And she was so much more than just the name on that building. She made the treatment center what it is. Celebrities have included Keith Urban, Robert Downey Jr., Drew Barrymore, who I love. Yeah. David Hasselhoff. I had to put that just because of Knight Rider. <laughs> Knight Rider. Ozzy Osbourne. Wow. Um, Chevy Chase. I had to include him because of Christmas vacation. It's almost Christmas time. Billy Joel, Steven Tyler, wow. Daryl Strawberry. And the list is just too long to include everyone. And once again, these are people that they've Been. shared that. Sure. Yeah. Still, I love that she wanted to be a treatment center for everyone, average, normal people instead of just celebrities. She wanted women represented since dependency affected both sexes. I admire her push for equal rights for women, lobbying for the Equal Rights Amendment and even trying to influence her husband. She never wanted to interfere with his political career. She especially didn't want to hurt it. But she also stayed true to her beliefs and her opinions. She wasn't television's portrayal of a 50s housewife. Yeah. For sure. Her openness, I think, is what made her so endearing. You didn't have to agree with her, and she respected that. Her transparency through breast cancer is admirable as well. Normalizing cancer discussion, educating people on the importance of screening. I definitely can see why she was Time Magazine's Woman of the Year in 1975. To think that I only knew her for the treatment center is pretty lame on my part. But that's what's so neat about the podcast. You get to find about... All these other things. And I, without the podcast, I totally wouldn't, you know, I would have just not known. Right. Unless yeah. there was a documentary on Netflix <laughs> about her. But, and this woman left a mark on the world for sure. I think that everyone should know Betty's story. And even better, even more so, I think we should try to live a mo- little more like her. Treating people with kindness and respect. But most of all, never conforming for others. I don't look at what I've lost. I look instead at what I have left, Betty Ford. We love dogs, and as Aww, you said, you were yeah. excited that Prince was okay after <laughs> yeah. the coyote. I saw this viral video of this six-year-old that was playing in their yard, and a German shepherd went oh. into their yard. Did you see this? No. Started to race after to attack the oh. kiddo, and their dog, I think was like a lab, came out of nowhere and went after that German Shepherd. And then their other second dog came out to protect the little six-year-old playing in his own yard. And got to go watch the video because it's just so sweet that those dogs just Just, turned into little protectors. That's really cool. Yes. So we love dogs. And there's more about dogs. A teenager in Billings, Montana, was taking a walk with her therapy dog, Pancake. Oh, that's a cute name. He looks more like Oreo if you see him because he's got kind of black and then white and then black again but he's named pancake 
Autumn, the teenager, has cognitive disabilities, so she has Pancake as a source of comfort. But after this incident, Pancake is now even more of a hero. A man came from behind, grabbed Autumn, but Pancake wouldn't allow it. I just love love the name Pancake. He wouldn't allow it and defended his girl. The attacker must have been scared off by the dog, but when Pancake and Autumn got home, they looked like a scene from a horror movie, according to the mom. Pancake was covered in blood. The pair were all right, and police are looking for the attacker, but I just loved the story of love and loyalty between them, yeah. especially with a happy ending that, that you know, they got away. Um, and I recently read about a pair of sisters who were lost in the woods behind their home in Folsom, Louisiana. Abigail 7 and Cecilia 4 were playing in the backyard. They wandered off. The town totally mobilized. They were searching for the lost girls, including helicopters, wow. looking for these little That's ones. scary. Very scary. They were found around 9.30 with Artemis, their golden retriever. He was barking to try to get attention. He stayed with his humans just to protect them. Spencer one time was lost at the zoo, and it was probably maybe 10 minutes, if that. And I full-on lost it for that 10 minutes. And I've lost Ellie once at the (sighs) beach. And she ended up walking back to the beach with some strangers. She was five, and we used to let off lanterns on her birthday. Oh, we had everybody looking. Yeah, it was crazy. So scary, and I felt like as I was walking, it was like so slow, like I couldn't get momentum. Yeah, yeah. So I can't imagine what these parents must have gone through. They did reward the the pup with a steak dinner, (laughs) which I think is perfect. Finally, there's a woman in the UK named Erica Hart who has helped find more than two hundred lost dogs with the use of her drone. Her latest was a rescue dog named Hilda, who's a schnauzer. Hilda had bolted from her garden in Yorkshire. They had been searching for two hours, the the owners, before they reached out to Erica Hart, who dropped everything, abandoned her shopping plans to go try and spot the last last spot Hilda was seen. Within 20 minutes, she had found the little schnauzer and helped locate a suitable spot to pick her up without traffic or a lot of people. So she's sitting there talking to the two owners. You know, they were in constant contact the whole time. Hilda's owners were especially grateful since right after Hilda was rescued, a huge thunderstorm rolled in. Oh, no. And who knows what would have happened then? Oh, yeah. I mean, she would have been scared. And Miss Hart doesn't accept money. She just enjoys the looks she sees on the oh. owners' faces when they're reunited with their four-legged friends. She, you know, spends money on her own gas. They called it petrol in the article. But oh. I just think it's, I, I, I just love it. I think what I love about it is that she found not so much a special skill, but she found a simple way to make a huge impact on others. For sure. That's what we're here on this earth for, to help others. Betty Ford. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.